the murder mystery podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? We've released another podcast based on the books by M.F. Kelleher. British spy stories. Find it where you found this podcast or click on the link in the description of this episode. On the Murder Mystery Podcast, it's The Parisian Contract. Episode 19 With a sense of déjà vu, Olivia gets a message from Richard asking to meet. I'm in Paris to talk to the police about dear Max, says the message. She suggests a café that she had spotted yesterday, one block from her hotel, and she walks in the bright morning air. Richard is sitting alone at a table meant for six people. Her first thought on seeing him is that he is looking older. He stands and shakes her hand as the waitress comes up and takes their order. How have you been? he says. I'm very well, Richard, she says with a smile in her voice, and she notes her change of demeanour when she's with him. I'm so sorry to hear about Max. Yes, me too, says her boss. A great loss to me personally and the company. Any idea what happened? she says, impressing herself by her cool control. None, says Richard. The police say that he was found in a flat and that he'd been shot. Did he have family? Never married, says Richard. Are his parents alive? No, both dead, he says. One brother who died, too, a couple of years ago. He was alone when he died, she says. What? He was alone, she repeats. Is that what the police said? Says Richard, turning to her. No, I I meant no family. No. Why did he disappear? She says. No idea, to be honest. First he was leading the alpha work, then I get that message from him saying he's killed a man, and the next thing I know, he's found dead in a deserted flat. Their coffees and food arrive, and their conversation stops momentarily. And how are you, Richard? she says. Bearing up. But there is something else that's preying on my mind. It's the company, Olivia. Carlyle's. We've received an anonymous offer to purchase all of our private stock. And who do you think it is? she says. Either a major competitor, a finance house, or a private investment group. Don't they have to reveal their names? Not publicly, until the deal has been signed, if it's detrimental to the deal. The authorities would know their identity, of course. Doesn't this happen all the time, though? she says. Much less common for a hundred percent of the stock. That's removing a player from the market overnight, says Richard. Is the offer a good one? Three times value. Why don't you take it? She says. Buy a cottage by the sea. Carlyle's is my life, Olivia. I wouldn't know what to do. I've brought thirty years of banking expertise into this company. I can't give her up. Can I do anything to help? 
I'm not sure you can, he says. So what happens next? The proposal goes to my stockholders. And if they agree, she says. Then it's the end of Carlyle's as an independent force. They talk on about the same topic, and she can see that Richard has been hurt by this latest turn of events. She wants to do something, but he rebuffs her offers of help, and they part, both slightly melancholy. Olivia walks back to her hotel, and realises on the way that she is late in looking through the documents that she found with Max. As soon as she gets back, she digs them out and spreads them across the table in her room. There is nothing of consequence in most of the paperwork. The Malneath mobile phone records show normal business use, calls to his wife and, as Olivia saw before, many calls between Malneath and Max. That doesn't make sense to her. Max had not spoken about knowing Malneath, apart from saying that he recognised the body under his car, and he had certainly not mentioned actively talking to him for days. Max was officially supporting the Montgomery bid for Alpha. She needs to know if there was a connection between the men beyond that. One explanation is, of course, that Max was the leak about the deal. Could that be possible? Good old reliable Max leaking insider information? The key here, her brain knows, is to identify the range of motivations for any Max and Malneath relationship. Max could have been working freelance to support Glenthro in other work. Olivia doesn't know if Max worked freelance at all, or whether that was allowed under his Carlisle agreement. He had said to her only one week ago that he didn't work freelance, but she is starting to not believe everything Max told her. What else could it be? Was Richard's meeting with Madame Malneath connected? That's another relationship between Carlisle and Glenthro people when they are supposed to be on opposing sides. She puts the phone records to one side and looks at the handwritten note. 20 million, time-dependent deal, Conigan Industries GmbH, not something that we would have chosen. True? Question mark. Critical that the proposal is confidential, risk profiles need assessing. Restructure if this goes through? Question mark. Concerns. Partner's background, unclear, maybe the edge of legality. Cash and effects on Carlyle reputation. It seems to be notes taken during a conversation. The meaning is opaque without knowing the topic under discussion. She searches for Conigan Industries on her laptop. It is a German trading company with operations across Europe and the Middle East. Mostly an import-export operation. The range of goods is huge, everything from toys to clothing to agricultural machinery. There are no particular stories about them in the press. They just seem to be a middle-ranking trading company somewhere in the top 400 largest businesses in Germany last year. Her mind drifts to Guy. She hasn't got space in her life for anything. And there is Jack. She considers if she feels any guilt about Guy. 
then realises she doesn't. She goes back to the paperwork and researches the Conigan board members online. She only finds a list of names that she doesn't recognise. Max's note says he had a concern about partner's background. So she takes that lead and looks further into Conigan and where the directors had worked before. Tobias Muller seems to be mentioned the most as the Director of Strategy and Partnerships, a job title that can mean anything, she thinks. He has been in the German finance sector for decades. He made his name at the finance company Schloss Bauermann before he was 30 years old and has worked for a vast range of investment companies over the years. He joined Conigan five years ago and immediately started making headlines. Olivia finds some articles about his background, profile pieces, and him talking about his leadership style. Coverage like this, Olivia knows, is never random, but always carefully managed. Muller has been set up as the face of Conigan, a deliberate policy to raise his profile. The most important question cannot be answered from her searches, however. Why is Muller being pushed like this? Her brain fills up. She knows she needs a break and goes down to the hotel restaurant for lunch. After ratatouille and a slab of roquefort, she heads out to the sun to change her perspective. One of the areas of her investigation that has remained inconclusive is flat three. She doesn't know anything about the two men who she saw on the day that she and Jean-Luc broke in. But they did have the photos and there must be a connection between those men, Montgomery and Glenthrow. Olivia decides to take another look at the flat and hails a taxi. The cab drops her on a road junction in Modon, deliberately not too near flat three. She wants to walk the rest of the way to get a feel for the area. When she visited before, Jean-Luc had driven and she never takes any notice of where she's going when she's a passenger in a car, but she doesn't know why. Walking is the only way to discover the true nature of anywhere. That has always been her belief. She moves along a series of walled, peaceful streets, trees of the same size lining each roadway. One of the features of any large city is how different certain areas can be to each other. Modon is one of the Parisian suburbs that people seek to live in, and not one that she would have associated with kidnappers. She immediately doesn't know why she made that link, and is always hard on herself when she realises her brain has made an assumption without foundation. Kidnappers can choose anywhere to hold their victims, but what is different about Flat 3 is that this isn't the place where Cami is locked up. What is the purpose of this flat in their plans? Why have two places, Flat 3 and Rue de Guette? She is still thinking through these questions by the time she arrives near to her destination. The place is exactly as it was before. A slight breeze, but nothing too strong. Slight sun, but nothing too strong. Slight variations in the paintwork on the houses but nothing too strong. Inhabited by respectable people, living respectable lives. 
As she rounds the final corner, she can see a woman walking along the other side of the road. The woman is evidently looking for a house and holds a piece of paper in her hand, which she refers to periodically. Olivia slows her pace and watches the woman. She finds the right place and climbs to the front door. It is the house that contains flat three. The woman inspects the bell pushes and presses one, then waits at the door. Her business suit is blue and her hair is loose. Olivia strains to see if she knows who it is. A man comes to the door. Olivia recognises him immediately as one of the two bouncers who she saw in the black Renault. The man immediately grabs the woman and pulls her inside of the building. The front door slams shut and the noise echoes along the front of the houses opposite. Olivia has to act. She can't just stand there and let the woman be attacked. She runs across the road and up the steps two at a time. She tries the door and it is unlocked. She steps inside. She takes in the scene. She can hear noises of a struggle pouring down the stairs into the entrance hall. Olivia starts to climb, more slowly now, wanting to regain some control over her mind. The noises stop and the silence falls around her ears. She reaches the landing outside of flat three. The front door sits ajar on its hinges, moving faintly in the August day. She pushes it gently, not wanting to attract attention. She treads deliberately, placing her feet on the floor in front of her as carefully as a tightrope walker. There is no sound, no ticking clock or humming machinery, no music, no movement. She steps one step nearer to the corner of the wall that will give her a view into the living space. The man appears from around the corner. He pushes her to one side. Olivia falls against the wall and her body crumples to the floor. The man crashes out of the door and she hears him go down the stairs and out into the street. She can feel her elbow aching and a pain in her shoulder. She tries to get up and the pain worsens. She uses all of her remaining energy to stand. The pain shoots across her body and she cries out. She pushes out her hand and leans against the wall where she fell, then sees that her knee is bleeding, the blood running down her leg and staining her white shoes. Eventually, she regains enough presence to turn and walk around the corner. The woman is lying face down on the floor. She doesn't move. Olivia walks over to her and kneels down. Hello, she whispers. The woman doesn't respond. Olivia gets a towel from the bathroom and runs it under the cold tap, then returns and goes round the other side of the woman's body. Her hair covers her face, and Olivia stands astride the body to move her into the recovery position. She pulls back her hair to soothe her face, and sees immediately a face she knows. The woman is Grace Hartford. Grace, she whispers. Grace! 
The woman's eyes flicker. Olivia wipes the towel across her forehead. Can you hear me, Grace? The woman groans affirmative. Olivia stands behind her and puts a hand under each arm, but Grace gasps in pain. It's all right, she says reassuringly. Olivia takes a duvet and covers her, then tries to put a pillow under her head without success. She sits on the floor by her patient, her arm across the woman's body. She allows herself to let out a deep sigh. She closes her eyes and relaxes against the wall. After what seems like half an hour, Grace whispers, Miss Street. Olivia jumps up and kneels down close to her face. Hello? Can you help me? says Grace. Olivia lifts Grace from the floor to the sofa. How's that? Thank you. Do you want anything? Water? Grace nods. Olivia collects a glass and fills it and gently lifts it up to Grace's mouth. She drinks, slowly at first, then ravenously. Slow down, it's fine, says Olivia. Grace closes her eyes. Another ten minutes passes. How are you feeling? asks Olivia. Beaten up. What happened? A man jumped me, says Grace. Dragged me in here and hit me on the face. She raises her hand to her cheek. Do you know him? Never saw him before. Olivia lets the woman set the pace of the conversation. Why are you here? says Grace. I was just passing. A bit out of the way, isn't it? Olivia ignores the question. Why were you here, Grace? I got a message from my boss, David. It said to meet at this address. David Malneath? says Olivia. Yes. Why did you say it like that? I think it was someone posing as your boss, Grace. How do you know? Olivia doesn't want to tell Grace of Malneath's death. Not here, and not now, at least. You didn't say why you were here, Miss Street. I was just in the area. You'll forgive me if I don't believe you. She smiles weakly. They both look at each other, assessing how much the other can be trusted. I can tell you that I'm looking into Glenthrow as part of my work on Alpha. What does looking into mean? Background on the company. Hence you knowing about David not being in touch, says Grace. Olivia nods. Did you find anything else out? Not as much as Max, says Olivia. Max? Max Strachan? The Carlisle finance lead on the Alpha deal. Don't know him, says Grace. He knew David. Knew? Yes. Max died. Was he ill? Shot, actually, says Olivia, flicking her eyes up to the COO. Shot, says Grace, holding Olivia's gaze. I think he found out something about Glenthrow. What? says Grace. No idea. But enough for someone to kill him. And do you think this man who attacked me 
may be connected. Possibly. Grace looks to the floor and frowns. Am I in danger? It depends if you know anything illegal that Glenthrow is involved with, says Olivia. Illegal? Of course not. Why would I? Is this why your Max was killed and why David has disappeared? Yes, it is. If you do know anything, you need to be careful, says Olivia. So did David invite me here to warn me about all this? I think someone lured you here, Grace. To kill me? To shut you up if they think you know something that could be damaging. I need to get out of here, says the COO, trying to stand. The pain cracks through her body, and she cries out again. I'll get you an ambulance, says Olivia, and she makes the call. Half an hour later, Olivia is standing on the pavement outside of flat three, watching the ambulance drive away, with Grace inside.